0: consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron
2: on patreon even one dollar can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy look for a link over at the batmanuniverse.net to offer your support now and now on with the show who are you how did you get in here
0: you must forgive ubu detective he is well trained Allow me to introduce myself. I am he who is called Raish al Ghul.
2: The demon's head. I thought you were only a legend. I am quite real. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Tim, former GameStop employee. My name is Tim and we are on episode 201. We made it past the milestone episode 200 and... We're ready to do another ninety-nine, starting with this one. And joining me, as always, is my partner in crime, Dane. Dane, how's it going?
1: Uh going good, uh, considering everything. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I kind of wish. I mean, it's it's weird to say, but I, I was kind of hoping that nothing uh, big would happen between our last episode and 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 now. Hmm. Um, because we, we did record that one early. I think a week before that previous episode. Yeah. Uh, one ninety nine. So, <laughs> yeah. That was a little weird.
2: <laughs> well, that, nothing really big happened on the entertainment aspect. And that many oh, yes yeah. and whatnot. So, that was covered. But in the world, that's a totally different story. So, we know things are pretty crazy out there. And, but hopefully... Uh this show can provide a little distraction and some entertainment and just hopefully get you through the day and the troubled times that we're facing right now. So um, but before we get into the show, and sadly it's not gonna be a show that's totally full of good news as some of the recent events that happened in the comic industry that we're gonna be talking about. But uh before we get into all that stuff, uh we gotta start as we always do with our Dark Knight Rises, minute by minute commentary as we are Get into the nitty-gritty of this thing, Dane. <laughs> I think we'll see where we get to this minute, but we're winding down on the final big climactic battle sequence that's happening in the movie. So we'll see how far we get if we actually end it on this one. But uh, we're going to be going from minute 149 to minute 150, or the two-hour and 29th minute to the two-hour and 30 minutes. So we're officially making the two-and-a-half-hour mark here <laughs> on the Dark Knight Rises. So we're getting close, like I said. So as Thank always... You. You want to get your relevant media format, your VHS player, your Betamax tape, your DVD player, your Laserdisc, your HD DVD, your Blu ray, your Netflix physical media disc, your Blockbuster video membership card, your projector, and your HD, or I should say, your VHS to DVD converted copy, and our new favorite, your DVHS copy. HD VHS, <laughs> the way entertainment was meant to be seen
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's just the dark knight rises but all of entertainment uh, it doesn't matter what uh what kind of movie it is it deserves to be on
2: DVHS <laughs> yes yeah, so everything it's like everything gets upscaled to the new format whether it's hd or 4k and now everything needs to be downscaled <laughs> to for to <laughs> or to <DVHS. laughs> So, if you got all those versions ready to go, I'll go ahead and begin the countdown. Are you ready, Dane? Yes, I am.
1: Three, two,
2: one, play. As we get to actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. This is, this was just such a great payoff to the Gordon and Batman relationship. And just Batman's dialogue, how it reveals who he is. Not saying he's Bruce Wayne, but just how someone can be as poor, important as putting a coat on a young boy's arm, letting him know the world hasn't ended. I just love that line. The only thing is that, I mean, Gordon had to get this flashback here as Gordon's trying to remember. You would think Gordon would realize it right away, and it wasn't like such a a huge, like, confused shock to him. <laughs> I would think Gordon would kind of know because there's been stories where kind of gordon always knew who batman was but as respect never mentioned it never really decided to acknowledge it but he knew deep down who he was so this way he just like completely dumbfounded and didn't have a clue but a minor nitpick to an overall amazing moment
1: well i mean it was like 20 years ago right
2: true so,
1: <laughs> or so 25 years or whatever so
2: yeah you could have it that way but it's such, a, you know the wayne murders is such a big story oh, yeah, event, I guess. event in gotham city i think it would be memorable for him but you know, again, small nitpick. And that took up the whole minute. <laughs> so we are not out of the final climactic sequence yet. But we'll be getting there pretty soon. We'll see what happens to Batman in the bomb in our next yeah,
1: minute. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't remember the scene being that long. You know, when I first saw it or when I saw it for the fifteenth time or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but Doing this commentary. I mean it's the same thing with that with uh, Blake and uh Wayne Manor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't remember it being this long, but I guess it was.
2: <laughs> At least we get different visual cues and scenes in the sequence. It's not just one scene like Bruce and John Blake in that one room for a whole bit of that felt like <laughs> ten hours <laughs> right. But yeah we're at the officially at the two and a half hour minute mark and that means we're pretty darn close Ooh, getting goosebumps just thinking about ending this thing <laughs> how far <laughs> we're at now
1: so you finally, know finally be over <laughs>
2: <laughs> that sense of relief but yet accomplishment that we'll yeah. be feeling once we get to the end of it so stay tuned for that as we make it through these next couple of weeks and episodes <laughs> But uh, to get rolling with our feature topic on this episode, um, it's unfortunately going to be a sad one, as just yesterday, as we're recording this episode on Saturday, June 13th, on Friday, June 12th, um, it got announced that legendary comic writer Denny O'Neill passed away. And um, this was one that hit pretty hard when it comes to the comic creators and people in the industry that you've uh, we've had so much respect for, and for me personally. Um, just thinking back to when I was kind of growing up with Batman, the animated series, um, that's kind of what I was getting into that series, which obviously everyone knows I love and have great respect for. That was the when I kind of first started getting familiar with creators and writers um, who worked on not only on that show, but as I love certain episodes and would see writers, um, would later find out that, oh, they've actually worked in the comic industry and were comic writers and wrote some of the stories that I'm seeing on screen in comics first. So Denny O'Neill was probably the first one who I became familiar with and kind of learned more about through Batman the Animated Series as he wrote one of its best episodes, The Demon's Quest, which is based on one of his iconic stories, um, which we'll be talking about in a bit here. Um, But he was kind of the first who I learned about being someone who was a... A legend in the comic industry obviously growing up as a little kid I knew about Bob Kane being the creator of Batman well back then only knowing him and not realizing the importance of Bill Finger just yet and Stan Lee those are kind of my first two comic creators that I knew of growing up as a young kid like around five six seven years old and like I said with Batman the animated series getting familiar with more and Denny O'Neill was the first one um, who I really became familiar with and the importance of his work um, that he laid out in his stories. Not just with Batman, though, his contributions to Batman are so significant, but with other characters in DC and obviously has a history with Marvel as well. But um, I've always enjoyed hearing Denny O'Neill once I learned who he was through the animated series and then seeing some comic documentaries that would pop up here and there. And later on, some special features on DC movies, uh, whether it's uh, live action or animated ones, where he would always kind of be the go to comic creator that would always be talking on those special features or documentaries. And I just always loved hearing him talk. He just had such a passion for these characters and these stories and just had a humble way of of talking about his stories and his creations because they were so significant, but he never came across as someone who was bragging about it or saying how important his significance were. He was just very humble and just always wanted, went back to saying he wanted to tell good stories with these characters. I always loved hearing him talk and always enjoyed and look forward to hearing new interviews with him as uh, we would get more documentaries and uh, discussions on specific characters and stories. Uh, So I always loved hearing about that. And that kind of started at a young age for me where I was learning and watching those early documentaries about comics and learning how important Danny O'Neill was. So this was definitely a sad one to learn about um, yesterday as we found out that Danny O'Neill passed away. Yeah. Um, in fact, um, Danny O'Neill
1: was the first, actually, see, I'm trying to remember, but it was, Danny O'Neill was one of the first Batman comics that I ever read. Um, it was the, the, the Batman Shaman storyline mm-hmm. in, uh, Legends of, of the, uh, Dark Knight.
2: Yeah. The first um, story arc in that series, I believe.
1: Yeah. The first story arc. Um, it's a, if you haven't read it, it's a little more, it's a little more of an in depth look at the, that year one story. Where did Bruce go to learn how to become Batman? Mm-hmm. Right. So he goes to, um, I, I think it's Alaska with, with some of the indigenous people of Alaska. Um, but yeah, it, it's just a more in depth, uh, Story about the year one story, Um, and I it 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 was one of those situations where I'd read comics before, but um, I didn't know that you could do a story like this in comics. It's it's just one of those sort of classic stories where you just realize that oh, you can write a Batman story, but you can add all this depth to it um mm-hmm. and i think going through his career i think that's what denny o'neill is gonna be known for is that you can have this medium you can have this wacky character like batman and the joker and uh, penguin or whatever but then you can have this more in-depth look at um uh, or, or you can bring these adult themes to um comics and I think that's what he will be known for. Or at least that's what he uh, is known for in my head.
2: Mm-hmm. No, totally. I mean, this is, I feel, one of the aspects of Danny O'Neill that is kind of underrated in a way, because at least not amongst hardcore comic book fans, but for general comic readers or people who know about certain big comic stories, like for instance, The Dark Knight Returns in Year One, those usually get credited kind of in mainstream media as far as the stories and Frank Miller being the one to bring uh, the darkness ingredients back to Batman after uh, years of being campy, thanks to the 66 show. And that is definitely, that, that is not true. <laughs> he definitely took it to another level as far as making Batman darker. There's no doubt about that. I'm not knocking those stories in any way, but I always felt that Denny O'Neill kind of got shortchanged in certain aspects, as far as not getting the recognition he deserved, as far as bringing Batman back to his roots from those first Bill Finger, Bob Kane comics of Batman being a dark character, um, even a loner in aspect. I mean, one of the first things he did was send Robin off to college <laughs> to have Batman uh, have more stories with Batman working solo. But just that aspect of bringing the character back to a more serious tone and just that you know, creature of the night aspect of the character that was first established in those early comics and going along with Neil Adams art. Uh, which is one of the best Batman designs I love in those comics in the seventies. So just him establishing and bringing that aspect of Batman back is so important to the character um, that I just feel doesn't get recognized enough. And it paved the way for stories for the dark Knight returns and year one and stuff that Frank Miller did to kind of take it to the next level in the decade to follow. But it all started with Danny O'Neill kind of wanted to bring Batman back to his core and what the character is all about and, Fully moving away from the campiness and the quirkiness that the comics were being most of the time, thanks to the uh, TV show and just moving away from that. It, I think the importance of that cannot be understated. And just to kind of talk about some of those issues that are the standouts in that. I mean, it's not just Batman, but with characters with, like his villains, like Two Face and Joker. Joker being the big one and Um, One of his most famous stories, Joker's five-way revenge in Batman issue number 251, which brought the Joker back as a murderous (laughs) psychopath criminal taking out his former gang members who ratted him out and sent him to prison. And you kind of don't think about this a lot since obviously we weren't around in that era, but just how Joker really turned into a gimmicky villain who was just there causing pranks and trouble for Batman not really causing a threat to Gotham City or to Batman but just more of a nuisance than anything. But here he was on a killing spree and Batman had to stop him and it was just an issue that brought that character, that version of the Joker back and the one that uh again just paved the way for future stories where we got Joker becoming someone who just as he's always been Batman's greatest foe but for the things that were to happen eventual, eventually later on in the decades to follow be without question becoming Batman's greatest foe his arch nemesis and the f- effect that he's had on batman's life and what he's done to him with the dark and evil things that joker has done not only to batman but to others in gotham as well so kind of started was bringing that character back uh, into that big threat that it was always meant to be in this issue and again another animated series connection that's issue the final act is pretty much the final act of the issue or the story the laughing fish where Batman duels the Joker in an aquarium fights against a shark to save uh, in a aquarium aqua tank with trying to rescue someone who's tied up and Batman has to take down a shark and stop the Joker. And certain images and dialogue are just taken right out of that comic. And I love that, uh, how we get these classic stories um, that Daniel O'Neill did and were paid with respect in Batman, the animated series and adapting them and telling them in uh, just as great as way. And even, Better, I will say, in another issue I'll be talking about here. But again, not just Batman, but other characters in the Batman mythos that um, Denny O'Neill just brought back to how they were supposed to be, so to speak. So it was just he paved the way for so much of we kind of what we expect and take for granted in Batman stories. Uh, it all started or got back to that point in once he took over Batman in the '70s. So the importance of that I feel cannot be understated, and I just hope kind of gets more recognition. Um, down the line as him really being the one to get Batman back to how we know and love him to be today. So hopefully that will uh, happen Uh, again, not just it's just mainly not those in the whole are hardcore comic fans who uh, read and breathe the stuff for the entire life, but kind of more on the main street level when you get um, new stories and media outlets talking about Batman uh, becoming a dark character, starting in the '80s with Frank Miller's stories. So hopefully, they can get more recognition, and they realize it happened uh, a little bit before that, and it started with Danny O'Neill.
1: I'm just looking through his uh, DC uh, uh, bibliography or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I see one: uh, Super Superman versus Muhammad Ali.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've actually, I believe he's been saying that is one of his favorite stories that he's written. Really. I haven't personally read it. I've seen the cover for it, uh, which yeah. uh, it gets talked about a lot when discussions on Superman's comic history. So that should be one I'll probably have to check out. But some other of my favorite stories of his and last night once um, I had a chance after learning about his passing was wanted to read some of his um, some of his more famous one and my favorites of his stories like Joker's five way revenge. And of course you can't forget about the contributions and creations of Um, He added to the Batman mythos, and I think there's none probably bigger than uh, his issue with the first appearance of Rachel Gould in Daughter of the Demon in Batman 232. Another episode, as I referenced earlier, that was, or I should say issue, that was adapted to an episode of Batman the Animated Series written by Denny O'Neill. And again, that was my first exposure to that story. But going back and reading Daughter of the Demon for the first time, again, just being amazed of how great it was seeing how closely and faithfully they took that story and adapted it into animation with a few changes here and there, but I always love it, especially as a young fan at that during the airing of Batman, the animated series, knowing how faithful and close some episodes were to the comics. Once I got a chance to read them as I was a little older and just how faithful they were to it. I think daughter of the demon is a great example of that, but to do kind of the impossible um, when it comes to Batman and creating new iconic villains um, he created one of the most iconic with Raish al Ghul and not to mention the League of Assassins the Lazarus Pit, Talia all that aspect that I think has really transcended just the Batman mythos as we've seen with Rachel al Ghul showing up in other DC stories obviously he was a big focal point in Arrow in seasons two and three with uh, Rachel al Ghul and the League of Assassins Talia um, and just playing in other DC story arcs and comics, that's not just focused on Batman. Uh, Ra's al Ghul, he will always be known as a Batman villain. But I think in a way, as transcended that, it has become more of a big main DC villain in a way too. And that just speaks to the genius of the creation of his character and what Danny O'Neill did for creating uh, a legendary Batman villain now. And uh, there's always kind of, I remember in certain discussions, whether it was with friends or online, Discussions back in the day, as far as the most iconic villains or Batman's greatest villains, um, we all know it's always going to be the Joker as number one. But I remember debates about Rachel Ghoul kind of climbed the charts as far as being Batman's greatest enemy. And even in the animated series, Batman reference says Rachel Ghoul is his greatest enemy. Um, so there's, I think it always goes back. If you were to have a debate between Batman's greatest foe, we know it's the Joker. But I think if anyone's going to challenge that. Rachel Gould usually is the one who comes up next as far as being Batman's greatest enemy. And so I don't think that can be uh, dismissed either as far as the great importance of what Denny O'Neill contributed to the Batman mythos and creating one of his greatest villains ever that has lasted decades and has been used in so many different stories. And again, not just in Batman, but in the other DC character stories as well. So another just amazing accomplishment for creating such a, uh, a well-liked, <laughs> I should say, amongst the fans, not liked because we like him as a villain, but a character who, who makes for a good villain and foe for Batman that fans have just um, enjoyed reading stories that included him for decades. So, yeah, just a, another great uh, aspect to Daniel O'Neill's impressive resume when it comes to comics. Did
1: you see he um, he also uh,
2: brought back uh, Professor Axe in uh, X-Men? yeah that was something i didn't know about until yeah. Yeah, recently as far as stories being written about his contributions to the comic industry as a whole once uh, we learned of his passing so yeah that was i'm not too familiar with his marvel career to be honest but that's pretty big too <laughs> when you bring a mainstay and like professor x uh back into x-men but i should probably look into reading more of his marvel stuff too eventually hopefully a lot of his stuff is on marvel unlimited i got it check that out because a lot of the issues some of his big issues on dc are available on the dc universe app for you to check out like daughter of the demon and joker's five-way revenge and then the other issue i just got to talk about and just might be my favorite of his is there's no hope in crime alley in detective comics number 457 i've said many times on this podcast how appointment in crime alley is my second favorite episode of batman the animated series i feel is an underrated one and that was another episode that was adapted from a comic. And it was this comic by Danny O'Neill, which I, I said why I love that episode so much. So I won't go into full detail. But um, this issue is what inspired that episode and the themes in that episode to be so impactful for me. Batman going down Crime Alley. Every, it makes the point that every year he goes to Crime Alley and he doesn't even tell Alfred why. Alfred, It's a mystery to Alfred. And he's there looking for Leslie Tompkins. And Leslie Tompkins doesn't know that he's Bruce Wayne in this issue. And that's one aspect where I felt the episode in the animated series was an improvement on this comic. Because that dynamic and close relationship that Batman and Leslie have, knowing his identity and what he went through, makes it that much more special. But um, in this comic issue, she doesn't know who he is, but she feels it's important to help whenever what way she can in crime alley because of what happened to Bruce and his parents all that night. And Bruce realizes that. And obviously um, that's why he used her as a close friend and as a mother figure. But um, this uh, speaking of Leslie Tompkins, I mean, another great character <laughs> that Denny O'Neill created for the Batman mythos in this issue. And she's always been one of my favorite supporting Batman characters for the role she played in helping Bruce, Bruce just get through the murder of his parents on that night. Cause I like how this issue, uh, really brought home how, while the police that were there were just there focusing on the murder of the Waynes and trying to find out who did it, there was no one really there to comfort Bruce except Leslie Tompkins, who was there and who comforted him. And again, playing that mother role um, that Bruce uh, had to have after he lost uh, his mother um, in in that murder. And it just, again, paved the way for such a great relationship between Batman and Leslie once in stories where she does find out that he is uh that Batman is Bruce Wayne. So just great stuff with those two characters. And there's one moment that I really love in that issue where he saves Leslie from these two muggers and they pull a gun on Batman and he just kind of loses it and just yells. I'm like, you dare point a gun at me at this spot. Obviously, they don't know what he's referring to, but for Bruce in that moment to have a gun pull on him in the spot where his parents were murdered. Of course, he's going to go off and just kind of lose it <laughs> against those criminals. And Leslie has to pull him back to get his composure, but just a great look into the psyche of Batman there. And again, just why he does what he does, the importance of what drives him as a hero for what happened to him as a kid. So just a lot of stuff in that issue that, um, and in that story that as a Batman fan, I always, enjoy reading and it's just really impactful uh, for someone who obviously puts big importance and on that origin story of Batman and just what drives him to be a hero. And I think that issue and then later paved the way for that episode and appointment in crime alley. That's why I love it so much. So uh, that just might be my favorite Denny O'Neill issue. And I can never read all of them, but that's one that uh, stood out to me ever since I read it after uh, watching that episode appointment in crime alley and just enjoying it so much
1: he also named um optimus prime
2: oh really man see yeah. that's something i didn't know about him at all or he had says, any connection uh, to transformers
1: says while working for marvel he helped write the original character concept for the transformers and is credited as the person who named optimus prime
2: man just another feather in his cap <laughs> as far as creations go basically <laughs> the guy's a legend <laughs> and and, some...
1: and of course he he also created uh he uh he also created Azrael.
2: Yeah, that was something I actually kind of forgot about. Um yeah. Obviously, um during this time he was an editor editor on Batman, the Batman title, and he created Azrael which paved the way for Nightfall and that is another contribution that I got to give him props for just as an editor crafting and piecing together that major story arc that me as a young comic fan was the very first comic story arc I followed and had to couldn't wait to get every new issue of that story once I got caught up (laughs) in in the midst of its run I wasn't there for the beginning but I got there in the middle and again being my first comic event that I followed was such a big deal for me and the fact that Denny O'Neill was behind it again just speaks to the respect that I have for him and just admiration I, I have for him as a comics creator and before that, though, one of the other big events, he was in charge of, uh, death, of death in the Family with the death of Jason Todd. And we, you can hear him talk about that on a lot of different interviews and documentaries of just what a controversial moment that was uh, for him and just how uh, that whole aspect of the phone lines of how fans could decide if he lived or died. So just that whole aspect was just so different for the comic industry at the time. So, yeah, man, his... Yeah, his work, his creations are just stamped in the edges of Batman history and just for, for gonna be remembered forever. And because as we we're just talking about it, all this stuff that he issued and created into the Batman mythos is in a way stuff we just take for granted and thinking that it's always been there. And that's kind of you can have that attitude for a character who's obviously been established for so long now. But you just kind of forget sometimes the different eras of when these things uh, get created and when they happen and it's just important to look back to see who was behind it and did uh, added those creations and additions to stuff that we love about batman so much and just learn about the creative talent behind there so it's kind of good to do do some homework a bit if you become a fan of like a new fan of these characters and these stories and just to learn about who's behind it and who uh, brought some of your favorite stories and characters that are that you're enjoying today so Hopefully those who are kind of new into the comic industry or to the uh, just the Batman mythos as a whole will, and like these stories that we're talking about here and these characters um, and aspects of Batman, um, will get be able to learn about uh, Denny O'Neill, all the great stuff that he did. Uh, this is just for Batman that we're talking about, but as you're making me aware, Dane, it goes <laughs> way beyond Batman and DC Comics with Marvel and Transformers now, but staying on the DC front, I mean... I'd be remiss if we couldn't talk about his work on Green Lantern and the Green Lantern, green arrow series, um, which I've, I've read a while ago. It's something I have a trade that I've been wanting to reread for a while. And I'm sure a lot of those issues are probably available digitally. Um, But again, that's another legendary run that on two classic DC characters, obviously Green Lantern is my second favorite DC character after Batman. And there's been some monumental issues uh, that, uh, denny o'neill did and the most famous one was green lantern 76 dealing with the issue of racism and talking about some that is relevant now more than ever um with the issue of racism there's ob- you probably any comic fan would see recognize that panel as hal jordan is talking to a black man there who says you know i've been reading about uh your work green lantern how you work for the blue screens and you help the orange skins the purple skins but then he asked him, he never bothered with the black skins. And I want to know how come like answer me that Green Lantern and just how powerful and impactful these panels are and how Jordan's response, he just hangs his head in shame and goes, I can't. And it brings it all home just to the powerful themes that comics can have and bring to the forefront. As you are talking about, Dane, some of the stuff he brought into the comics medium that, you wouldn't normally expect at the time and we see a lot of this of these important themes like racism be shown in comic stories uh, but this is one of the first ones where it really brought it home and how impactful and powerful it could be because it is such a great point when you think about it green lantern this uh, intergalactic police officer helping all of these different alien races and species that look different but yet he doesn't answer have an answer to a big problem on earth regarding racism here for one of his own kind, a human being. So, just very powerful stuff that Danny O'Neill has uh, worked in his comic stories, um, and especially in this one with Green Lantern and Green Arrow. There's also the one, the other famous story of Green Lantern or Green Arrow where Speedy becomes addicted to heroin. I've actually never read that issue. I'm sure, I believe it's in the trade, but that comic one is like that, co- that cover for that comic uh, gets referred to a lot when referring to comics. Uh, telling stories about drug addiction. So he just not only created great characters, he just tackled the important themes in society as well in these stories um, to give young readers at that time um, a look at some of these issues that are facing the world and how to kind of cope with them and deal with them in certain aspects too. So again, him tackling these important issues in comic stories can't be understated for his importance, into the comic industry as a whole not just focusing on specific characters like batman um, but just in general really brought and laid the groundwork for other writers to, to do and tackle with important issues that would come up as well so again just everything about his legacy is just i think legendary and he'd have to be put up there in my opinion as some of the when you talk about the greats in comics and if you're going to be specific about batman too he probably be in like my top three uh, comic creators um of all time just for all the additions he's added the important issues he's tackled in his stories it's just phenomenal uh, the resume and work that danny o'neill has uh brought to comic fans and superhero fans over the decades and that's you know why it was just so sad to learn of his uh passing so danny o'neill you're, you're you'll be missed but your work will never be forgotten
1: Yeah, and like I said before, you know, bringing these adult themes into comic books is what he will he will be known for, and it's a great legacy to be known for. But I think, you know, more than anything, it's you you can't have Frank Miller, or you can't have Alan Moore, or you can't have whoever else you want to lump into these sort of adult centered you know comic creators you can't have those people without Danny o'neill mm-hmm. and i think that it will be his legacy and it's it's a great legacy
2: really it really is without question yeah he'll be forever remembered for the work that he did within the comic industry and beyond that all right so that that was our tribute to Danny o'neill again a sad topic to be talking about um as uh we lose another great and a giant in the comic industry so but there is no way we couldn't do an episode and pay uh, honor to danny o'neill for everything that he's done uh in the superhero comic genre but um moving on to some news topics um we got saying on the comic front here um, an announcement just a few days ago where um detective comics issue 1027 is coming pretty soon And it's actually going to be an anniversary issue of Detective Comics number twenty-seven, and this is actually pretty cool. I didn't. This wasn't something I didn't think um, was on the radar of happening, but it makes total sense that you would want to honor the anniversary of Batman's first appearance in Detective Comics number twenty-seven, a thousand a thousand issues later. I was almost going to say a thousand years later. (laughs) Don't know what Detective (laughs) Comics number will be on a thousand years later, but. (laughs) A eight thousand billion, I think later. eight billion. Eight yeah. billion. let's, let's <laughs> stick with that. Two billion twenty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Detective Comics issue one thousand twenty-seven is going to be coming out on September fifteenth, and it's going to be an anniversary size issue. I believe it's one hundred and forty-four page, and it's going to be one of those issues that have a bunch of different creative teams on there. You're going to have writers like Greg Rucka, Grant Morrison, Tom King's, James Tynan. Dan Jurgens, Marv Wolfman, Brian Michael Bendis, Scott Snyder, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Matt Fraction, uh, Mariko Tamaki, and artists like Chris Burnham teaming up with Grant Morris again. You got Ivan Reese with Scott Snyder. That has me excited. I love Ivan Reese's art, especially on Green Lantern, and seeing him team up with Scott Snyder for Batman Story should be cool. So, yeah, this is going to be a cool one to get, kind of in the veins of Detective Comics number 1,000, I guess. So, um we'll see how it compares to that as far as an oversized issue uh telling different batman stories but the synopsis of it reads that batman and his allies will have a mountain of mysteries to solve taking them from the seedest seediest corners of gotham city to the farthest reaches of the dc universe plus a few early hints in what's in store for for the future of the cape crusader um so yeah this will be one to keep an eye on i know my Comic collecting uh, isn't what it used to be now, Um, and just comics in general not being released as regularly due to COVID. So hopefully things will be picking up again um, with issues coming out regularly. And um, this one I'll probably be checking out, though. I'll still always be checking and getting these monumental anniversary issues that happen uh, over the course of these titles run. So definitely keep an eye out for this one. Uh, just cause we're talking about Denny O'Neill it would have been cool if he was, um, able to contribute to a story here, um, uh, before his passing, which to kind of be a send off, I guess for maybe a last Batman story, but unfortunately that wasn't the case, uh, but still looking forward to seeing what all these other talented creators, um, and their stories they have to tell in this issue. Um, so look out for that in September and then moving on to some movie news. Um, one good one, not so good, <laughs> but, uh, there's been reports uh, from coming from Variety that just when I thought Henry Cavill probably wasn't going to be suiting up as Superman anytime soon, it looks like that is not going to be the case. As Variety is saying, he is in talks in negotiating a new deal with Warner Brothers to repraise his role as Superman. Not in a new Superman movie, which I would absolutely love, but just to kind of show up and do some special appearances in future DC movies like They didn't say which ones, but I think it's going to be either Shazam 2 or Black Adam. Those make so much more sense, especially since he kind of showed up in Shazam, (laughs) the first one. Though, my first reaction when I saw this, I was thinking, could they go back and reshoot that ending of Shazam so we can actually see his face this time? (laughs) Uh, That's just one of the things that bugs me about the whole scenario with what happened in the DC shared movie universe, where you got all these characters, you could use them, but yet you have to hide his face because he Henry Cavill wasn't available at the time. We didn't know if he was ever going to be Superman again. So it was just a whole mess. While well, I think that scene is cool, it just you know didn't reach its potential as how awesome it could have been if you actually saw his face. But I don't think they're going to do that. Wishful thinking on my end. But obviously he um, is in that Shazam movie universe, uh, which is in the main DC uh, EU. We know that's not going away. Uh, there's certain aspects that will probably be different, but if Henry Cavill is back as Superman showing up in these movies, um, I think I'm all for it. Uh, hopefully, that might pave the way for him getting his own standalone movie again. So I think certain things with uh, the Zack Snyder could have Justice League coming, it's going to allow, uh, I think, these characters to live on when maybe, or these iterations of these characters to live on beyond that, maybe than I originally thought, because I was under the impression, we you know Ben Affleck's gone, I really didn't think Henry Cavill was going to come back, and but the fact that it looks like he is, and it's not a done deal yet, but it's it gets me excited knowing that we haven't seen the last of his Superman because I love his uh, take on the Superman, even though certain aspects haven't been the greatest. <laughs> but I know the potential for him being a great Superman is there, and we've seen it in movies like obviously I love Man of Steel. I just wish it kind of would have grew beyond that for what we saw. Uh, the take they in the direction they took with him in batman v superman but then with justice league that got more to a point of superman that i love seeing and henry cavill did a great job there so i'm just excited to hopefully see him again in future dc movies so that was good news to hear but then conversely
1: is is that uh black adam movie still coming out because it feels like i've been hearing rock talk about that for like 10 years yeah
2: you're almost right he, he's been talking about, <laughs> and connected with it for a long time and they're actually supposed yeah. to start filming this year but due to covid <laughs> had to be pushed back again so <laughs> of course i of should course. hopefully it's eventually get off the happening.
1: ground soon it's still not happening <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is becoming one of those things well believe it when you see it type <laughs> scenarios yeah. for the black adam but as of right now it's still supposedly supposed to happen
1: just like that flash movie was, yeah, I mean, what's what's happening with that?
2: I know that's that's in worse limbo. I, I think we're definitely going to see Black Adam before we see that Flash movie.
1: Yeah, not to mention uh, your favorite you had Green Lantern. Ugh.
2: This Is was going to this was supposed to be the year when green, the Green Lantern Corps movie was supposed to come out. Remember when <laughs> Warner Brothers released that that yeah. movie slate? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <it> was like <laughs> before Batman vs Superman even came out, it was, Green Lantern Corps was supposed to be in 2020. So. Still I'm excited. It's going to happen, right? I mean, it's still, there's still a chance, right?
1: I, th- I think what they meant was an animated movie, Tim. <laughs> an <laughs> animated movie. Uh, See, I but would yeah, that, take that. that's what they meant. That's what they meant, Tim.
2: Sadly, that's not even happening. <laughs> We're long overdue for a Green Lantern animated movie. But When was the last one released? Um, when the live-action movie came out. The 2011, there was Green Lantern Emerald Knights, which was an oh. anthology based movie, which is really cool. I liked it a lot, but it's kind of one of those things once the, move, the movie failed, it was like, oh, we got to stay away from everything Green Lantern now. Well, yes. Yeah. Which is disappointing because they were kind of teasing during that time that Sinestro Core War would have been a possibility for a, a comic story for them to adapt. And I would love to see that be an animated movie. That would be amazing. So if they could bring Green Lantern back more so in these animated movies and get that storyline adapted. I would be one happy Green Lantern fan (laughs) because that's just begging to be adapted for a massive. You're not going to believe what I've been watching. What have you been? So, uh,
1: yeah, HBO max, uh, came out between, Mm -hmm. uh, our episodes. Um, and, I was kind of just not let down because I knew there wasn't going to be a lot of con- content on there, but j- just sort of let down by like that. It, it the the content there wasn't what did, didn't interest me at all, and so I was just browsing through all of the all of their content. I like how they have all the studio. Uh, is it, it is it Ghibli or is it Ghibli?
2: I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, to it, but...
1: or let's say Ghibli. Uh, uh, they they have a they have pretty much all their movies. They have um, uh, uh, the Harry Potter movies. They have all of these different sort of movies, but they don't really interest me. Uh, one thing—the one thing that interested me, Tim, because uh, I was just like, you know what? Maybe I should just cancel my HBO subscription just until something interesting comes comes along that I really want to watch. Uh, but then, you're not going to believe this, Tim. <laughs> so make sure you're sitting down. Oh, I'm about to uh, edge my seat. I started watching Doom Patrol.
2: Ah, nice.
1: <laughs> and it is. Uh, really, really well done. Yeah, it's, isn't I, it? <laughs> I know nothing about the Doom patrol. I just zero nothing. I don't know who the heroes are or the villains or the anti-heroes or whatever. I don't know anything about them. Uh, but I watched the show, Tim, and it is really, really well done. Yeah. I, 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 I love the cast. I love Brennan Frazier. Oh, he's cool great. guy. Um, <laughs> uh it's her name diane guerrero i i, I like her as uh, uh jane or uh hammerhead or whatever you want to
2: call her all over 70s something personalities yeah uh, I, personalities. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh I, I i love the burnt guy i forget his name negative man negative man yeah uh i love uh the that old actress rita mm. uh Everybody, I love everybody in the show. It, it's a great cast. It, it was it, it, it was casted really well, um, and 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 I know a lot of people have problems with the swearing and stuff. I mean, there's nudity in the first episode, yeah. which really surprised me. I was like, "Wow, DC is really going for it," or Warner Brothers is really going for it. But um, it's it, it's not gratuitous, uh, uh, and it's it's nearly the perfect show, and the second season is
2: supposed to be coming out pretty soon, right? That's a couple of weeks, so you, you started yeah. watching it just in time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I just thought I was going to put this on as background noise, but I was like, wow, they, they they really they're really committing to this, and 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 I really like how it's it, it it's it's not, so super serious. It's not rude.
2: no no. It's so it's quirky too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, like um, they they don't take themselves that seriously, um, and but but yet there's these background stories like like um,
2: so much heart to the characters,
1: like. right? like the the robot guy is his name Robot Man? Is that his
2: name? Um, let's so see. Now I'm blinking on. <laughs> it, yeah, it is something. just Robot
1: Man, uh, but. His backstory with his daughter and his wife, how he yeah, it mis- is this remember- Robot Man. <laughs> yeah, his, uh Yeah, how he misremembered his history that he was the one driving the car and got into the accident, and um, a negative man's back backstory where he's gay and he, you know, he's trying. He has a family uh, and a wife, and he's trying to, you know. Figure out which way he wants to take his life, and then the, the accident happens, or uh, Rita, where she's like the, this actress, and this terrible thing happens to her. Where her her face melts off. <laughs> her body turns into goop. Um, I, you know, I just really like the backstories, um, and. It it is great that they they don't take themselves so seriously, but then they have these really deep heartbreaking backstories. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know,
2: get fully invested in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it, you, you're kind of rooting for them, even even though they're kind of a bunch of losers and misfits, really. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's they're, they're they're kind of like they're sort of the anti Justice League, the anti Avengers, right?
2: Mm-hmm. They're actually the kind of. If you want to make a their biggest comparison, it would be the X Men, really.
1: Right, right. A, a, a goofy X Men. You think
2: about it, they live in a mansion. Their leader is in a wheelchair. who's super smart and a professor. They have these abilities that you would think some mutants would have. So they're kind of referred to almost as the original X Men. Are are
1: are are they an old team like an old? uh was they created a long time yeah, ago yeah they were
2: they first debuted in the sixties, oh wow,
1: yeah, I didn't know that um but yeah i i, I love this show it's <laughs> I, I i know you watched it, and I haven't listened back, and I don't remember if you were like like this show is really good, I'm sure you were yeah, I was <laughs> uh like like the t m n t comic, you're right
2: about this. <laughs> see so you should be paying attention to me more Dave. <laughs> yeah. that's have like, you have you finished the first season yet or are you still in the middle of it
1: uh no i i am on hold on let me look really quick i am on uh is is it, is it I, f- I forget the the rat's name <laughs> is it oh, front partners yeah. or something
2: i forget <laughs> it too i thats name right. <laughs>
1: Uh, Episode eight. I'm on episode eight. Okay, yeah. Is or it's like like General Crackers. (laughs) Uh,
2: He's being manipulated to get revenge on the Dew Patrol for I believe was it his was it his wife his mother or someone in his family got run over by the truck as they were pulling it uh, from the bus. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And he he wants to get revenge. Yeah. Um. Like crazy, crazy, quirky stories like that, but it works so well in the in the show when you watch it. Man. It's just great. I would, it takes all that stuff and that it into one just great hour of entertainment.
1: <laughs> or my my favorite part was when they they go to that scientists' lab, the the Nazi scientists' lab, uh-huh. uh, in uh, somewhere in South America, right? And uh, you know how. <laughs> How they're going on the Jurassic Park tour. Throughout yeah, that's the, right. <laughs> throughout the whole mansion. And then they have to sit sit down and watch the puppet show. Uh-huh. And they're explaining his, uh, his sort of background. Like, oh, you know, he he was living in Germany. And then, um, you know, this thing happened. And then he was all of a sudden a bad doctor. So he de- he decided to move to South America for health reasons after the war. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. It was health reasons.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. but anyway, yeah. That, I, ah, uh, this show, it's, it's great. It's, it's a great show.
2: Yeah, it gets yeah. a little more crazy by the end of the season, <laughs> but oh, yeah, just then, is good. <laughs> uh, better cyborg, I would say. Cyborg's great a in flesh, this, yeah. A,
1: a little more fleshed out cyborg. Yeah. Because cyborg, you, you only see a glimpse of him in, uh, uh, Batman versus Superman, and then Justice League. He, he's literally a background
2: character. Well, I think the Snyder Cut will fix that with fleshing him out more, but as of right now, this is definitely the more fleshed-out version of the character on screen yeah. in live-action. Yeah. It's a great yeah. portrayal by him, too, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, but anyway, yeah. I've been watching Doom Patrol. Uh, it's a great show. Uh, i Almost give it a four, uh, a five out of five,
2: so four and a half. Yeah, yeah, so hopefully, maybe it'll be a five once you finish the season and get ready for season two. Have you watched and the season it... two trailer? No, I haven't. Okay. I don't, yeah. I don't That's probably it's... a good idea before you finish the season.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll just say they're
2: bringing in a character. From the comics, one of the main characters from the Doom Patrol comics who has some crazy powers, which should make for really interesting season two, even more crazier season two. So
1: would I know this character?
2: If if you're not familiar with Doom Patrol at all before watching the series, then no, yeah. but you'll okay. see the character in by the time season one starts wrapping up. You'll know who I'm talking oh, okay. about. All right. So yeah, I've been watching that show. Cool. Glad deep. you're on board with that one. <laughs>
1: I've been reading the Ninja Turtles comics, which I love. Oh, my God, Tim. So
2: where are you at with that one? Now, I know you got to issue 50, which was a huge yeah. issue. <laughs>
1: uh, Dark Water. Uh, they, they just got Alipex back from Alaska. Okay. Um, but issue 50. Oh, my God.
2: Man. <laughs> man. <laughs> when I first read that I home- dang was not expecting that to happen <laughs> I did not expect that to happen oh
1: my god uh, so I didn't expect uh, Splinter to kill Shredder I, that, that was the biggest shock I've read in comics in a yeah. long time <laughs> oh my god and then he takes over as leader
2: of the Foot Clan see that was the <laughs> biggest surprise to me and obviously, yeah. we know in the course of this version of the Turtles, Shredder, or I should say, Orokusaki and Hamato Yoshi have yeah. a relationship and work in the Foot Clan, so it makes sense. But just as a Turtle fan from you know the early days of the first animated show in the 80s, seeing Splinter as leader of the Foot Clan was just kind of so surreal to me to see those words and those <laughs> uh, that's path for Splinter be taken and him being the leader yeah. of the first cl- of the Clan. like wow this is something i never thought i'd see but it makes total sense and it just again while this comic series is so great in subverting what you know about the t- tmnt franchise but yet it makes all the sense in the world and this works so well in the story that it's telling
1: but it, i mean it wasn't it wasn't only that and uh splinter killing shredder it's also the lead up to it um, where uh, Splinter is essentially just sitting there meditating while there's a whole battle going off. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's, he's searching through his his past to find a weakness for for Shredder, um, and that ends up being being an honorable um, uh, ninja, I guess you could say. Which which makes me kind of like, are they samurai or? are they ninja? Because it seems like mm. they're blending both. Yeah. Things. That's a good point. But, I mean, I, I, I like it. I mean, it works perfectly for, but it's like, why didn't they just make them samurai? You know? Um I, I mean, I know it's, it's teenage mutant ninja turtles, but, um, and I guess teenage mutant samurai turtles wouldn't really, uh, <laughs> doesn't does roll out the tongue right? quite as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I just like uh, you know this, this sort of lead up to it where he's searching his 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 past where Splinter was essentially wrath. You know he couldn't control his his yeah. his anger. Hamatioshi couldn't control the anger, and um, Rokusaki couldn't. I don't know. Would uh, attack dishonorably? I guess you could say. Um. I, I, I just like that whole lead-up to him finally um, killing Shredder, <laughs> which is really w- uh, weird to say, you know, because everything leading up to that, that issue was, you know, Splinter was a... Or um, Hamato Yoshi was a pacifist now. he He doesn't believe in conflict. And to see him do that, it's... It's, it, it, it's a great turn of character I guess you'd say mm. um, and you know j- just right before he does it you know calling back to like oh how, how they used to you know daydream in, or they used to go deep into the, the forest and daydream about the great warriors they would they would become and uh you know, uh, Splinter telling—I I believe it's Spencer telling Shredder. You know, uh, I'll see you in the forest again. I, I just love that sort of callback, and it—it it, it was just that that perfect touch to, um, you know, that what they were building up to, and you know that that sort of climactic killing of Shredder. Um, and, it was so great, and and uh, Splinter taking over the Flick Clan, and how uh, Mikey isn't really about that. He, you know, yeah, he in, I mean it's it, it's totally goes against his character, where he's like this man, optimistic but, guy.
2: You really you start know? feeling for Mikey in these issues that follow this story arc. <laughs> so yeah. when he's how he views everything. It, it, this is like makes you really feel for him as far as. Like you said, someone who's always kinda of supposed to be the happy go lucky turtle, the party dude, but it the one of the most emotional ones, maybe not as emotional as Raph, but <laughs> you just really yeah. see how this affects him and hurts him. It just makes for some really great stuff and later on as this story arc progresses.
1: Um also, I is is Alipex's um villain micro series worth reading? Yes. Is, that's the one that I really want to read because she, she's become like one of these major characters that I thought was just a throwaway mutant um, sort of story. Um, so she's I, become like this. You go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, yeah, her micro-series issue and I don't know if you read Old Hobbs yet, but those are the two one most reads, I think, for the villain micro-series.
1: Okay. Yeah, because I, I haven't read any of them so far. Um, also, I'm sort of curious about what happened with April and Casey, the, the April and Casey. Yeah. Uh, series or whatever you call um, it. Yeah.
2: I got that I'm one. I've, I've been a while. It's been a while since I've read it, but it does sure? paint, paint the picture as far as kind of how their relationship kind of hits a bump in the road <laughs> and yeah, kind of why they go on their separate ways for a little bit.
1: Yeah. But is it just about that or is it about like, no, it plays it does into, it the, playing into the old gods. Yeah. It plays into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. okay all right and 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 like I texted you Tim like I it's 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 weird that I don't like the splinter character anymore because I know of the way he's going
2: yep it's he, uh, that's the it's like you hate to see it but yet that's what makes it so good because yeah he does become an unlikable character he does some stuff that makes you go man splinter how can you do this <laughs> and just yeah sure so later on in some stories and that happened and some of the actions you take is going kind to of get like, you can go what and just seeing the turtles react to it it's just yeah. like wow <laughs> but again it yeah, works, cause, works so well
1: because I'm at the part where or what happened previously was they snuck into Dunn's um, building <laughs> I guess lair, <laughs> I guess you could say um, and uh, uh, Splinter has uh um, I forget her name. Is it Jenny? Jenny, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Yeah, has Jenny kill um, uh, Don, And then he s- tells him, you know, like, I'm going to take all your money and I'm going to take all your technology. And you're going to be okay with that. And then Dunn says, you know, no, you're not. And then Jenny comes out of the shadows and kills him. And it's like, okay. <laughs> I, that That is not where I thought that the Spencer character was going as the leader of the, the foot clan, but, um, okay. And I, I just really like his talk with, you know, um, with, 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 uh, Mikey and he's like, I mean, uh, sorry, Leo. And he's like, you know, I, 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 I want to protect you, but as the foot leader of the foot clan, I, I can't, I can't protect you guys because I made you know I made this promise to your mom that I would always protect you guys. And maybe the best thing for you or the, the best way I can protect you from all these evils is for you to go on your own way and for for you to be the leader. And I was like, "Yeah, but why don't you just not be the leader of the foot clan and just be their dad?" You know? Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, I, like I said, I, I'm at that point. I still have, like, seven or eight graphic novel, I mean, um, trade paperbacks to get through. So I'm not really sure where that's going. But as of right now... It's definitely
2: going somewhere, I'll say that.
1: <laughs> right, right.
2: And well, not to spoil it, but uh, pay attention to, to Je- Jenica or Jenny as a character. Don't think of her as just a side character. So there's no, some... I definitely don't, yeah. So there's definitely stuff that's going to happen with her. That's pretty important.
1: Yeah, I definitely don't because, um, you you know how, I I don't know if you remember, but, um, the turtles were getting all upset because Spencer wasn't explaining the whole, his whole plan to them. He, he was leaving certain parts of it out, like sending Casey to go, um, take over the the purple dragons again. Mm -hmm. Um, and he he wasn't really explaining all of his plans like like um giving information to Dunn about who harry was and having the I don't know what I, the, the phantoms um kidnap them. i mean uh, kidnap harry how, how they um he he's not giving him the whole plot or the whole um plan and i had a feeling with with Jenny because you know she feels like she's dishonored and you know all of that stuff dishonored the Foot Clan and all that stuff um, that there was something more going maybe Splinter told Jenny to do something that you know we don't know
2: about yet so yeah I'm keeping yeah. <laughs> I'm keeping close <laughs> to her too <laughs> Yeah, I just thought issue 50 was big. It's one of the best issues of the series, but man, some more big stuff's on the way for you. <laughs> How you get closer to issue 100?
1: I mean, it, it feels like the only characters I can really trust right now are Turtles, Angel, maybe April. Alopex? Alopex, yeah. <laughs> but but even with Alopex, you know, she's still haunted by, uh, by Kitsune, so, you know,
2: that's true. I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I kind of forgot that aspect know, in the good. middle of portion
1: yeah. of this. So. I don't know where that's going. Like. But yeah. Um again, like I said, read the Ninja Turtles comics. <laughs> I was wrong.
2: <laughs> I was dead wrong. That's, you gotta say that on every episode now. Just read the Ninja Turtles comics. <laughs> <I know. laughs> to make up for but, not reading after all these years. But
1: every time we every time we do this this podcast, it seems like something something else. Big comes up, you know what I mean. Uh huh. So, like, I feel like I have to talk about it. Like like, that's why the <laughs> series
2: is so great. <laughs> I mean,
1: and I, uh, Splinter, Timmy Shredder, all this other stuff. So,
2: yeah. And I've said this before too. Uh, you gotta start watching the 2012 Nickelodeon series because I don't. Maybe I don't think you'll probably think it's as great as the IDW comics, but there's some great Splinter. Shredder dynamics in that yeah. series as well done differently, but I think just as good in, in its own way, but some great payoffs as well. So yeah, you get see, it.
1: I've tried, I've tried to watch it,
2: but I feel like,
1: see, this is my problem, Tim. Uh, I didn't grow up with the movies. I mean, I, I, I saw the movies. I saw the television, the was it 89 television show,
2: 87, but it um, went 87, forever, so <laughs>
1: yeah, um I saw the television show i saw all of the iterations of the turtles um so i didn't but i didn't really grow up with them um or i didn't really care about them as much uh but what I did care about what I do care about is this i d w comic, and I feel like this is my batman year one this is my Mm -hmm. turtles year one (laughs) (laughs) right Uh, um this is the turtles as i want them to be right and so i watched the the nickelodeon show and it's kind of different and that's different i'm just having i'm just having a hard time getting into it
2: well Here's what I would suggest. Maybe once you're fully caught up with the IDW comics and you you need a turtle fix and want more turtle stories, maybe that's when you should jump into a different iteration where you got the full complete run or at least current up-to-date run of that story. You could start another one. And because the that turtle series, the way it starts off, I, it ends in a much more interesting place, I will say. So I would if you could just get through season one and not like fully form your opinion on it until you finish season one, I think that's where you have to really fully judge it on where you want to continue or not with it for where it leaves things with the story. Because again, it goes to some really great places with splinter and shredder and the turtle family dynamic.
1: I do like uh, the turtles designs and I really, really like shredders uh, design in the show. Yeah. Um, It's, it's really great, but yeah, uh this this IDW comic is it's revolutionary. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no argument for me on that.
1: <laughs> I got to say it's oh my god, it's so great. Um uh it, it it might slow down um on on this upcoming Friday the 19th. Um because that's when uh the last of us 2 comes out. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: okay. and i
1: have to yeah i have to button down the hatches and beat it because next month the ghost of uh tsushima comes out and i really want to play
2: that one too yeah, so. really good. <laughs> yeah yeah shifting gears a little bit um from comics to video game what do you think of the ps5 reveal
1: hmm. didn't see a lot of games that i really want to play Interesting. Uh, Beyond that sort of sci-fi-ish, looking one, uh, with like that guy course, in almost
2: kind of like an astronaut suit so takes that girl up to space at the end. That's the one you're talking about, or no, no,
1: the, uh, the the one with with the woman.
2: Oh, okay. Where she like she relives like her death over and yeah. over. Okay, something with time.
1: Like there's some kind of sort of time thing going on. That one. Um, also, stray.
2: Oh, Stray's gonna be I game have, of the year I next year.
1: <laughs> I have an orange cat, I, I have an orange cat,
2: and I'm gonna be buying that one. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know why. <laughs> no, right there, I think every cat owner who's a gamer is gonna be buying it. <laughs> I hope you can customize your cat though, like choose a different look for the cat. It could be a tabby cat, uh, a yeah. tuxedo cat, or the orange cat. <laughs> Just have it be a customizable one. That would be great. But yeah, I actually so, think. A, it looks really good. I actually was surprised of how many games were, especially compared to Microsoft's reveal, which was really lackluster to me. But there's actually quite a few games on the PS5 reveal that caught my interest, I think, re- look really great. Um, I'm getting that first look at the Spider-Man Miles Morales that's coming out this year, I was like, wow, that's, that's a huge surprise. But that's a great launch title to have. But Ratchet & Clank, I'm a big fan of that game series. And it's been a while since we had a new installment, and this one looked absolutely fantastic. This is actually one of the first next-gen games that I've seen that's making me really think, oh, wow, this looks next-gen. Because not only just the graphics, but the way the environment transition in an instant where you're just going to all these different environments and levels in a, in a moment of seconds, which I don't think I've ever seen before in a video game, and just how s- seamless it is. And just how detailed it is when you go into these new environments so quick, it just it blew me away. So just in general, being a fan of that franchise, but yet seeing the things it's going to do with this uh, next gen technology, this looks really really cool. So Ratchet and Clank is high on my list for uh, next gen games. That looks really good. And then um, uh, what was the name of it? I forget. I forget the exact name of it, but it was that. It was almost one of those time loop games. That's the, it was the first person shooter. Where you're being hunted out by these different assassins, it um, has a cool feel to it that reminded me of the old game called Time Splitters. That was a quirky first-person shooter game that uh, I always loved on the PS2, and this one had a had a little bit of vibe to that. That was a different type of first-person shooter that looked really cool. So there was that was another one, and then um, there's another really like, cool new one that was there, but see, that's the thing that see, I think was... I, I was I, I was
1: more interested in the technology, like how much better are the graphics going to look mm-hmm. on the games, and I don't feel like you could really judge it by or see it, I guess you could say, with the more cartoony games, like Ratchet & Clank or Stray or whatever, and so I was looking at, like, I kind of wasn't, I'm not interested in the game, really but um uh, gran turismo like yeah. I, I was trying to look like it, do they look more re- like more realistic cars or whatever and like i got to say i can't really see the difference
2: yeah I, i'm i'm with you on that cuz car games look yeah. great already <laughs> yeah i mean they look great already but like i was
1: looking at the in, in the, there's certain shots of the interior of the cars and, you, you know, like the driver's hands going <laughs> to yeah. whatever, Um and the interior of the car, the dashboard and, you know, the the stick shift and the sort of speed stuff. You know, I, I was looking at like the odometer and stuff and I was looking at that and I was like, I can't really see a difference. I don't know if you could, but,
2: yeah, not not really. I mean, Gran yeah. Turismo has always been known for pushing the envelope with racing games and their graphics. I mean, when Gran Turismo 3 came out on the PS2, that was, I think, a game changer as far as racing games. Just graphics looking realistic in general, that blew me away. Obviously, things got better since then, but again, it almost comes to a point where how much better can it look? <laughs> and I'm sure this one will look the best there is, but it's not such a substantial jump that you're really noticing it. But one that uh, that really also blew me away was Horizon Zero Dawn Two. That looked really great, and in oh, certain did you play? Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn Two. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. Did you play the first one? Oh,
2: um, yeah. No, actually, I didn't. But I have so, it. I got it on sale on the PS store, the PlayStation store. It's having a sale. I eventually want to play it, and seeing the trailer for the second one really makes yeah. me want to play it because I've heard great things about it, and it's the second one looks really, really good.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the best games I've played for for uh, PS4. Uh, It's it's really it's a it's a really good story. Um, I just don't want to spoil it for you. (laughs) 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 The the, the gameplay is really good. Um, The combat, the bow. um, You have like an electric sword. which is really cool. the the stealth aspect is is really cool and the crafting system is 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 really well done. So, yeah, I think I think you're gonna have fun with that one. Yeah, um, on that
2: list. But the other yeah. game I was thinking of, I was trying to remember, it was kind of one of those quirky ones you were mentioning. I forget the name of it, but it's that one where you're kind of this adventurer, like an Indiana Jones type character, traveling the world, facing these different monsters, and then it cuts to moments that you see as Butler just walking around the house doing these mundane things, I guess showing the contrast of his life. The graphics are very cartoony and stylized, but the concept and the gameplay of it looked really good and interesting. Kind of didn't fit the graphic style. But again, it showcased, I think, the graphical power in a different way, having that art style. So that was another one that kind of jumped out at me as far as something being unique and different that looked good. I think that's just overall the whole reveal. They just had a lot of games that looked different and unique from each other. That just gives you a lot of variety to choose from on the PS5 yeah. when it comes out. That's, I think, what I get. It did a much better job than Microsoft did with their reveal showing these games that were all kind of looking the same <laughs> almost. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I guess that's kind of the point, you know, of these reveals, like the technology reveals or whatever. It's like you, you got to show Ratchet and Clank. And you also have to show Horizon Zero Dawn 2 or Into the West, is it called? Yeah. <laughs> i can't remember what it's called but um yeah you have to show like a variety of games and um i i, I was more focused on like the the more realistic quote unquote realistic games yeah. um and, and and see like okay so like is is the facial syncing better um you know, can you see real like, emotion on the characters faces like does it look like a person um, reacting to something like um, I don't know the, the Last of Us two trailer, right? I mean, it, it wasn't in the showcase, but but um, you know, like like when the two characters kiss, does it look like an actual kiss, or does it look like two two dolls smashing their face <laughs> together? You know? so it's sort of that sort of thing I was looking for, rather than you know. The sort of cartoony stuff, um, but
2: yeah, I'm. I, I, I'm gonna go PS Five too. Well, I'll eventually get both. <laughs> I always got to try to get both of the main console. Just a matter of how far apart. And you know, I'm a, I'm mainly a Microsoft guy. That's where my main console of games I play on. But PS Five that sold me as far as wanting to get it right away. I mean, just with uh, the new Spider-Man game with Miles Morales launching with it this holiday, hopefully it doesn't a good pushback, but that's, I think, going to be a good system seller to have, um, knowing how great the first one was. So I might be getting both sooner than later. <laughs> and I might have some extra income to put away to maybe get that, because I think I mentioned it was a 311 concert uh, I was supposed to go to this summer that got canceled, where yeah. I kind of got the VIP seating for that and now it's going to get refunded because of it being canceled so (laughs) i might have some extra uh money to use for console purchases down the line so we'll see
1: i guess saw this morning
2: uh
1: there was a leak or whatever or some some website in asia was had had like pre-orders up already for the ps5 and like 700
2: dollars Man, it can't be that expensive. They they had to learn the lesson with the PS3 six hundred dollar yeah. watch price tag. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: I don't think it's gonna be that expensive. No, no. Yeah, maybe like the special special ultra edition of the of the PS5, where you get like a special edition controller with the magic I don't know stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I. I I'm not so sure about the controller yet. Um, It it has those old school, um, or at least it looks that way. It has those old school N64 slash Xbox buttons that I don't really like. Mm.
2: Uh, It it is the first PlayStation controller that's really kind of breaking the mold as the design of it. Yeah one through four that all kind of have that core design that it's stuck with that i always loved i love the playstation controller so we'll see how this one works out because it is definitely more different than any other one that's been
1: yeah it has those those slippery slippery xbox original xbox slash xbox 360 buttons that i don't really like but i don't know we'll see
2: yeah, who knows? They might eventually like they'll release a classic PS5 controller version or something like that, where it's new but has that old classic feel to it.
1: I'm surprised they're bringing back the, the touchpad. I mean, they're um, continuing the touchpad because I mean, beyond I don't know one or two things, I barely use the touchpad for anything.
2: Yeah, it's mainly just used to bring up maps most of the time, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, even with the maps. You're not using the the interactive touch thing
2: to... Yeah, you just press it to bring it up and that's about it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. You're not not rubbing your finger on it like a mouse or a touchpad on a laptop. So I'm surprised they're they're continuing with that. But I I, I guess that's what makes them different from
2: Xbox, I guess. I guess. I guess no reason not to have it either. I guess if people are familiar with it, might as well just keep it. Yeah, Maybe it's not expensive to put on there or something, but
1: one thing I, I do hope the controller has is, or that the, um, at least the Xbox has Xbox one uh, is, I, I, I hope that the, this is going to be hard to explain. <laughs> um, uh, th- there's, there's haptic feedback on each trigger. I guess uh-huh. it's it. Yeah. Um, like, like if you play, um, uh, dang it, I forgot the name of the game. <laughs>
2: uh, hold on. That type of stuff I hardly notice or pay attention to while I'm playing. It's just kind of feels like the rumble as <laughs> normal rumble goes for a controller.
1: Yeah. Well, you see, I'm a PlayStation guy. So like the first time, I, the first time I used the uh, Xbox one controller, I was like, oh, like like it's totally separate like the vibration there's individual vibration Mm. yeah i'm so used to it i was like i barely noticed that (laughs) um but yeah anyway i i I just hope that they they um they sort of bring that to the playstation controller because it's it's a little thing and i'm sure it'll cost them thousands of dollars but uh I don't know. I just hope they bring that to the
2: Xbox.
1: <laughs> I mean, to the PlayStation.
2: Yeah. So overall, I thought it was a really nice reveal to kind of showcase of how good the games look. And now we just got to find out release date and price because the price is going to be the big thing. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm guessing between 400 and 500. I think 500 is going to be the most expensive. I expect it to be like either 400 or 450. Yeah. You
1: see, I, I think it's going to be 500 to start off with. And then 600 for the, I don't know, whatever that was, uh, special the, edition. The digital-only edition,
2: yeah. Because that's the yeah, one I'm kind of leaning toward getting. Because I imagine it's not going to have yeah. a disk drive, and it's going to have a bigger hard drive than the standard one. So it can hold more, sure. I guess, yeah. digital games on there. So that's the one I want to get, because I'm, le- I'm mainly getting digital games now. So hopefully that's yeah. you know, not the one that's more expensive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be the more expensive one, because... Storage is at a premium, thing, but unfortunately, but
2: if it doesn't have a disc drive, it won't be able to play Blu-rays and 4K movies. And maybe that'll make it a little cheaper. Uh, yeah, I guess. Or maybe it'll just be exactly the same. <laughs> you
1: know, <so>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, controversial, but I do like the the design because I know a lot of people are making fun of it. Yeah, I, do, I like it I a lot too. Like it's, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's really edgy i guess you could say
2: yeah it It looks futuristic
1: (laughs) yeah um sharp corners um looks like it's a it's essentially a sandwich it's an ice cream sandwich is what it looks like
2: i do wish (laughs) i hope it comes in a black color because i'm just so used to playstation systems being black well starting with the ps2 i know the original one was gray but just the ps2 uh, on all the other consoles i had were black until i got this uh, red spider-man ps4 version but uh, yeah. before that i had the black ps4 so it's kind of weird to see like a sony playstation console just be that bright white colored did you see the 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 mock-up
1: of the spider-man uh miles morales special edition ps5 no uh it, it, i don't think it's a official one but it looks really cool yeah uh, with the red and the black
2: no, that would look cool. <laughs>
1: yeah. But anyway, yeah, I'm going to go PS5. Uh, I'm a I'm PlayStation gamer. They have the better exclusives. Uh, sorry, Tim.
2: Uh, but, that's well, a good argument. I think Microsoft yeah. blew a, on their reveal not showing any of their exclusives like Halo. <laughs> I think that that would be one they'd want to show off right away to show off their new console. But I still have to wait on that. Do people still care about Halo? Yeah, definitely. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I know it definitely oh. I a big fan base. Gears of War. Gears of War, I haven't really played a lot of the more recent games on there. But the original ones were fun.
1: Hmm. I don't think I've ever played a Gears of War game.
2: No, they're fun. They're really good action combat games.
1: Is it Especially a when you play
2: in co-op. Shooter? That's third person, actually. Oh, third person. Yeah. Oh. The cover system on it is really good.
1: I'm just trying to think of PlayStation, I mean, uh, Xbox exclusives Forza. So yeah, yeah, I
2: don't I really care too yeah. much about the racing games, but I know it is a big exclusive for them who, yeah. for those who really like racing games. Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. PlayStation, better exclusives. Um,
2: <laughs> I, would, better I would agree with that. That's why I'd like to have both consoles <laughs> for those <laughs> exclusives.
1: Well, if so. you had to pick one, Tim, right now. Which one would
2: you pick? It would probably be the PS5. But yeah. the cool thing about Microsoft's version, what they're going to do, and I hope PS5 has that, is their um, their system to where if you have an Xbox One, let's say because Halo 5 comes out, there's going to be a launch title, but it's, or it's not Halo 5, but the next Halo game. But it's going to be on Xbox One also. I could buy, the, let's say I wait a little bit to get the Xbox One Series X. If I buy the new Halo game on Xbox One, that's, I'll be able to play the updated enhanced version once I get the next Xbox system. It's going to be that thing that once you buy a game, it's universal uh, no matter what Xbox system you're playing it on. You don't have to buy it again to get the new enhanced version. You'll automatically update to that version, which I think yeah. is a great feature, which should become a standard for all video game consoles that once you get the upgraded systems because it just makes it so much better for consumers to purchase those games and just knowing that they'd have the new enhanced version on, once they decide to, to make the jump to next-gen. it just, it'd make the jump a lot more easier.
1: Has Has PlayStation said anything about um, uh, older games? Like, all your PS4 yeah, games? Yeah, they're kind
2: of being coy on that. That's another cool thing that Xbox Series X is going to have. It's going to be backwards okay. compatible with the last version, which I think is an above, important feature for next-gen consoles to have. So Hopefully, Sony will realize that as well. <laughs> uh, okay, so that means they they're not... um it might be a bare bones version of it or something where like only a handful of games maybe will be backwards compatible i don't know yeah i don't think they are (laughs) that would be disappointing yeah
1: which means i'm gonna have to wait for games to come out not like i did with the ps4 i bought it uh that that wasn't a wise decision because there wasn't a lot of games um I forget, I forget what, what games early in the console's life.
2: There was anyway, the, yeah. the Infamous game, second. I think Second Son. Infamous, was it? Second yeah. Son,
1: yeah, right, right. That was the big launch title, which I bought, and which wasn't really worth it. Yeah, I heard it wasn't that great.
2: I liked the first two yeah. Infamous games, but... Well,
1: what was the, um, the Xbox One uh, launch title? It was that Rome game? Yeah, like, they gladi- didn't have a great
2: launch selection either, but that was supposed to be their big first exclusive. I don't even remember the name of it, but that wasn't great either.
0: Yeah,
2: so that's the thing, <laughs> is it's always tricky with launches of new consoles. It's like the first few games, sometimes they really don't, <laughs> it's not the best showcase of what this next gen systems can do. So you're gonna have to give it a little bit, but once a system does launch with like a great first AAA title, that sells you on what the system can do, that's always a great thing. But it's just kind of rare when it happens <laughs> these last few generations.
1: But anyway, yeah,
2: that's the, yeah, that's, the next the next gen's here or almost here. <laughs>
1: that's the next generation. We'll gonna start to
2: adapt as gamers. Yeah. So oh. start saving up and getting ready. Hopefully GameStop will have good trade in deals for your old systems. <laughs> see that's why I think the transition to Xbox is going to be smoother. I know a lot of the stuff I have on my original Xbox I'll be able to get on the next system and I'll be able to trade it in no problem and bring the price down. <laughs> Sony, I'm not too sure yet. I might have to keep the PS4 for a while. <laughs> but we shall see. But other than that, um, <laughs> the last bit of uh, movie news I was going to mention uh, was that uh, Wonder Woman 1984 now has another new release date. It's been pushed back again. It's supposed to come out in August, but still with the uncertainty of movie theaters opening up um, it's slowly starting to happen. I think just this week, as of yesterday, most theater chains got the okay to open up again. But um, it's still going to be a while I Think that things I for things to get totally back to normal. So Wonder Woman 1984 will now be coming out October 2nd, 2020. So still a little bit of a wait. Another release date change, but um, we'll just have to be patient again. <laughs> so I think the first big movie to come out, because everything Warner Brothers pushed back a lot of stuff because Tenet, Christopher Nolan's next movie, um, is going to come out at the end of July when it's supposed to come out in the middle of July. And I believe to replace that, they're re-releasing Inception in some theaters and going to have a sneak peek of Tenet. So, uh, again, it's going to be a weird, I think, first opening process when theaters start to reopen again and new movies start to come out. So we'll see. how Well, I'll have to wait to see how it goes. But I think Tenet is going to be the first big new release to hit theaters in July um, then hopefully we'll see where things go from there and Wonder Woman sticks to this final, hopefully release date of October 2nd. But with that, you can go ahead and get into our review section, which for me is going to be reviewing the latest issues of Batman. The Adventure Continues um, since our last episode, two more uh, issues have come out for that series and I will be reviewing both of them. But uh, before we get, or Before I get into those reviews, I've got to throw out the spoiler warning on there because I'll be going into details as to what happens in those issues. Um, so if you don't want to know, might want to hold off on listening to this part. But if you've had, um, you can hear what I have to say about these latest issues of Batman The Adventure Continues. Um, but as always, we've got to have a rating scale for this episode. And Dane, what do you think it should be?
1: Well, before we get, we get to the rating scale, uh, I have to ask you, Tim. So is, is Batman The Adventure Continues or The Adventures Continue? Is it worth reading?
2: I say definitely yes, especially okay. if you look how cheap the issues are, that it's 99 cents and yeah. you're getting continuations of Batman The Animated Series and classic comic characters who never appeared in the show in this universe for the first time, written by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini yeah it to me it's a no-brainer <laughs> i really like what they're doing and setting up and because i think so, so they're creating this mystery as i have mentioned in my review surrounding jason todd and i just cannot wait to see how he fits into all this and into the timeline and that alone is just making me invested and just wanting to keep reading to see how he's going to be brought into the animated series universe but they're doing a great job um continuing not only stories with these characters we know from the animated series but now with deathstroke in the mix for the first time they're just doing a great job of uh bringing him in into the animated series and just doing a great take on him so yeah i think it's definitely worth it okay
1: so our rating scale for this episode is gonna be things that tim reads watches plays (laughs) that that um uh, Dane in five years realizes
2: is good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it, <laughs> yeah, it's so fitting and so true, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you could say the same thing about Batman The Adventure continues with that. So hopefully, it won't take yeah. you five years this time. <laughs> <laughs> but for issues number four and five, these kind of play out as one long issue, if you're asking me, because, um, the way issue. Basically, the whole, these two issues is a fight between Deathstroke and Robin taking on Firefly. And the course of that story uh, plays out in just these two issues. So it feels like one uh, big issue here. Um, so Robin is put on curfew by Batman <laughs> as he was supposed to help him take down the Mad Hatter. But uh, Batman tells him he has to go home. And Tim's not too happy about that. But as he's riding home, he sees um, Deathstroke enter a building. Um, so. He goes into there. It's it's like an, anthropo- an entomology <laughs> pavilion building with tons of bugs and insects that are there. Obviously, Firefly wants to go there for obvious reasons. Um, but he runs into Robin runs into Deathstroke, and he t- gives him the spiel on Firefly. Tim talks about how Batman took him down. They refer to the episode uh, "Tort Song," which the animated series first introduced their version of Firefly. Um, but Deathstroke goes on to tell Tim that uh, there is this job. T- Firefly took on that backfired on him where um, he just got really burned and messed up his face and now um, he's really living up to the name Firefly where his face is just all burnt up and kind of looks disfigured uh, and where he really needs that suit and he has an enhanced suit here that we get to see and Deathstroke's been hired to take him down um, because he's saying he's planning this big attack on Gotham City and he's hired by the government to take him down before that happens So um, Deathstroke and Robin team up to fight Firefly as once he shows up and it was cool. I liked how we got to see this dynamic of Deathstroke and Tim uh, working together because this story arc is called mentors and it's trying to establish how Deathstroke is interfering and trying to replace Batman as Tim's mentor and plant the seeds as far as making Tim want to believe that Deathstroke is the better mentor for him to have other than Batman. So Deathstroke's working that angle with Tim. And again, I just love this dynamic that they're working here with this rivalry they're already establishing between Deathstroke and Batman here. And it's being used through his partners like Robin and Batgirl that Deathstroke is using to get to Batman and kind of beat him in that way sort of aspect. Um, So we get this fight sequence between Batman, or I should say Deathstroke, Robin, and Firefly. Um, That was pretty fun. And it takes, like I said, over the course of these two issues, um, the first one ends with Firefly kind of Putting Deathstroke and Robin in a quarter about to burn him. And then the next issue picks up um, with them, with that fight continuing on. And Batman's easily takes down the Mad Hatter. And but once he sees after he's done dealing with the Mad Hatter, he sees the person who's been spying on him, or he's noticed he's been spying on him these last few nights. And he's trying to finally uh, get him before he runs away. And he almost has him this time, but he's just a few seconds shorts and he's unable to find out who's been watching him um, over this all this time which we know is Jason Todd, but uh, Batman doesn't know that yet. And that's part of the mystery that's surrounding this series so far is just what's Jason's angle and when is Batman going to find out? And just, again, like I said, how is Jason just going to fit into the whole grand scheme of things of the Batman, the animated series timeline? I just cannot wait to find out. So uh, once Batman is through with uh, taking down the Mad Hatter and unable to uh, catch Jason Todd as he was spying on him he's talking to Alfred and Alfred tells him that Tim uh, didn't come home and cut off the line of communication and Batman's trying to find him and he sees smoke coming out of the building he's in and he's able to locate where him and Deathstroke are at and fighting Firefly and Batman actually comes in to take down Firefly rather easily Uh, punches him takes down his new suit (laughs) in typical Batman fashion Firefly just didn't stand a chance. So he defeats him. Firefly, though, makes his escape. He just explodes uh, one of the walls and makes his, causes a minor explosion and escapes. Um so after that, Batman tells Robin to go home, not too happy with him. And he again confronts Slate here, telling him he doesn't like how close he's getting to his partners and how uh he's saying, Well, he doesn't mean any harm, but I'm more approachable, it seems, than you are to them as a mentor. So I just like this dynamic that they're having between Deathstroke and Batman here. Obviously, Batman doesn't trust him. Deathstroke's trying to play the angle that he means no harm. But, you know, he's out there really to take down Batman as it has been established at the ending of previous issues. But in this one, it really drives home the point that he's doing all this to take down Batman because he was hired by someone to do it. And in this one. At the end of issue five, we find out who exactly hired him. Because once Slave gets back home, um, he finds out that his partner, um, Sonny, was actually Firefly, not Garfield Lynn's. They just they staged the whole thing just again to try to gain that trust between him and Robin and to use that to fully take down Batman. And his the person who hires him is not happy that it's taken this long, and that person is. Lex Luthor and as we see him communicating with Slade at the end of this issue um, he wasn't planning on all this these theatrics and just wants Batman taken down ASAP because of how Batman humiliated him in the first story arc with him uh, and Superman in that big robot suit so he hired Slade to take down Batman but Slade knows you can't just attack Batman head-on and expect to beat him you have to kind of catch him off guard play the long game here and just have patience. And that's how the best way to take down Batman. And as we see Slade tell that to Lex, we see Jason listening in on this conversation. And he has a shocked look on his face, um, knowing that Slade is actually not out to help Batman, but to uh, kill him. So the table's being set for uh, this, the different players in this game that Lex is uh, orchestrating. And just what this series has been building up to, it might be coming to a head pretty soon between deathstroke lex and jason todd so um again just more uh building up to what i think is going to be a really interesting story with all these characters coming together and it just makes me excited to find out so this issue or the series i should say continues to be entertaining and just as an animated series fan just me eating up all this stuff and new elements they're bringing into this universe like i said with Deathstroke and jason todd and creating that mystery i just love it a lot so these ones probably weren't the best of the series so far um the first few before these ones were probably the standouts uh, more so than these two but again they're still solid and still um entertaining comics to read in the animated series universe so i'm going to give this three out of five things that tim reads watches and plays that Dane will realize is really good in five years.
1: (laughs) That's a lot of things, Tim.
2: Yes, so you got more stuff to look forward to in the years to come, Dane, that are actually really good. (laughs) So, Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. So unless there's anything else, Dane, I'll throw it to you for the outro.
1: Oh, that is it, Tim. Um, so just go over to the batmanuniverse.net facebook.com slash batmanuniverse twitter handles at batmanuniverse the show's twitter handle is at batfanspodcast tim's twitter handle is at timg311 and my twitter handle is at dain's you can rate and reveal us on itunes and you can email the show at batfanswithoutpounds at gmail.com so like we say I did every single episode Tim
2: we love each and every one of you was all of our Tim-recommended hearts. (laughs) That's a good one. See you guys next time. See you next time, everybody.